We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies EdTech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com slash B-E. Welcome to Transformative Principal, where we interview real principals who are doing amazing things to help our students every single day. I'm your host, Jethro Jones. You can find me on Twitter, at Jethro Jones. This week, I am super fortunate to conclude my interview with Chris Weger. I am... This was an awesome interview. I learned so much from him, I just cannot believe it. And after doing the interview a couple weeks ago and then listening to it tonight to prepare to publish it. I am just so impressed with Chris and the, the things that he's doing up in Canada, and he's just an inspiration. I'm really glad that I got to interview him. You know, this podcast has taught me so many things, and I feel so humbled to have been able to learn from so many great principles that I have interviewed and so humbled by the great response that that I've had to this podcast. Um, I've had over 2,400 downloads of the podcast and every single month there are more and more downloads and I want to thank you who's listening to this. I appreciate it. I'd love it if you'd uh, reach out to me, give me some uh, feedback on the kind of people you like listening to and more importantly I'd love to hear some of the uh, other great principles that you know so that I can interview them as well. Yeah, so let's talk about that punishment aspect because that's a, that's a difficult thing too. In the middle school where I taught, um, you you get in a fight, you automatically have a three-day suspension and there's no ifs, ands, or buts to it. Um, if you bring drugs to school, you automatically have a week suspension and possibly a 180-day suspension. Um, and, you know, it was very, like, this is how it is no matter what happens. It was definitely a a standard and a standard program, not a system of dealing with, with discipline. Um, 
we're trying to be more um, understanding and and make them learning opportunities rather than punishments. Can you talk about mm-hmm. what, you, what you've been doing, what you found successful in dealing with all those difficult kids? <laughs> the, the last student that I ever suspended was about four years ago, three years mm-hmm. ago, four years ago. Um, it was a, he was a grade two student that um, was struggling significantly. And the only reason I suspended him was because I didn't know what else to do. And it turned out that this child uh, ended up being diagnosed with a, a significant disability. Um, and he thought of me as a monster. And it took years to repair that relationship with mm-hmm. um, his family as well as with the child. And we did repair that because of uh, the efforts of the family and the efforts of, of the school. Um, but that was a huge moment for me where I kind of thought, wow, what have I done? Um, and uh Anyway, he he was diagnosed with Asperger's, and and uh, and I've, the family is is okay with me talking about it because it was a good learning experience for all of us. Mm-hmm. And uh, so then, once once we knew that, it's a different angle. Then we go, okay, well, how do we best support this child? How do we teach this child? How do we coach him with that? And um, when we punish a child, we often send them home. We cross our fingers that they're going to learn something. Right. Just, we're just rolling the dice and hoping that you know what they're going to go home and and learn something from this. And usually the kids who would learn from that um, would like, for example, me growing up, if I got suspended, <laughs> I would have learned a lot because my mom would have taken time off work. My dad would have done that to make sure that I learned it. The kids who often get suspended, where are they getting sent home to? Right. Um, you know, so we have to look at each case. And I'm not saying we never send a child home. There are days when it's not working. The kid, the kid is struggling and they need to be with their mom or they need to be with their dad or they need some extra support and we can't offer that for them. But to, to have this automatic zero tolerance um, policy that says, if you do this, then you get this. Um, we have to look at each individual child and see what's best for that child. Um, sometimes we do need to send home and say, you know what, I don't know what to do right now. And we're going to have to meet to find out how we're going to best support this, this child because mm-hmm. right, he's just going to experience more and more frustration at school right now because we're not doing enough for him or her. And, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. So the, the punishment aspect is, I mean, we know the prison, the school to prison pipeline. Mm-hmm. We know, uh, the negative impacts of zero tolerance policies. Right. Um, there's schools, we don't have that in BC. We don't have a lot of the zero tolerance policies. Around drugs, I would say that that's more so in the high school where that's hard because a child brings drugs to school, is selling drugs at school. That's, that's a, you know, a criminal offense and, and um, yeah, or fighting. Those are, those are things. But then again, we have to look at why they're fighting. We have to look at who's involved, how we're going to best support that child. So if we are going to suspend the school better when that child comes back, the school better have done better be doing something differently as well. Mm-hmm. Um, because a child being sent home for three days for fighting likely is not going to come back changed. Right. Um, you know, a lot of schools in, in high schools here will have, okay, if you fight, there's some anger management stuff you have to do. There's restitution, uh, to make up, to right the wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of, a lot of progressive, uh, schools in BC that are doing some fantastic stuff. Same with drugs that there's, um, you cannot re- come back to school until you go through this drug rehab um, sort of thing. So there's the teaching piece. Mm-hmm. Not as a punishment. It's just, you know what, you need this because you can't come to school and be getting in fights and, and, and you know, selling drugs. There's, there's pieces that we have to do as a community and the school will be involved in that. We're not just going to send you home and, and hope that you're going to come back a, a changed person. Cause um, again, the, the people that 
with a home support don't usually <laughs> get right. suspended. Yeah. Not always, but so yeah. so one of the things that that I've been struggling with, and I'm sure that you've had this too, is if something happens that's serious at school and another student is is affected, um, the parents of the of the victim, let's say, um, have a certain expectation that something is going to happen to this to the aggressor that that hurt their child um how how did you deal with those concerns of not suspending when the other parent said well how dare you not do anything to this kid who hurt my kid how do you deal with those mm -hmm. situations we had at kent we were um there was two prisons that were close by so a lot of our uh, parents worked at the prison, mm -hmm. and so you can imagine the the expectations of discipline yeah. around that would be a bit different than than at an elementary school. Um, so we often had that, and we in a society we have you do something bad, something should be done to you. Right. Um, and so the conversation is, you know what? The first and foremost thing is, say if it's if 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 somebody's been bullied, um, the conversation that's, number one has to do with the safety of the victim. So how are we going to provide, how are we going to ensure a safe environment for that child? Um, and my comment is always, okay, so I can send this child home for three days. I have no idea what I'm sending them home to. They're going to come back not having been learned, not having been taught anything. Mm -hmm. I cannot guarantee the safety of, of that child, of your child, when this, this child or the child returns to school. So let's find out how we can create the conditions for that child to be safe at school to not only your child, but to everybody else's kids. Um, and it's going to be long-term and I don't expect your child to be a punching bag while he's learning right. how to do this. Um, so it's, it's, it's a dilemma. There's, there's no answer. You have to look at each one, but uh, having a conversation that we need to teach this child, because if we don't teach this child, he's going to continue to do this. He doesn't have the skills needed to deal with conflict or to deal with the, the abuse of power here because, um, if we don't do any, if we just keep sending him home, they are, he's going to keep coming back and doing it. Um, punishment has been shown that it's not going to work. Mm -hmm. like it, there's no, there's no teaching involved there. Um, if we also, because there's the current, well, he shouldn't be in school then. And okay, so if he's not in school, he's in our community. So what's going to happen when your child sees this person out in the community? How is this person going to react in, this, in the community? How are they going to learn the social skills needed to be successful in our community by not being in social environments? So um, sometimes we go to, you know, um, what we often did, because it was usually on the playground. Mm -hmm. It was very rarely in the classroom. Um, we would go to... Um, like a restricted environment outside. So they were only allowed to play in certain areas. Mm -hmm. um, and within that area, you, you had a coach, you had a supervisor um, that was out there and they were well aware of the struggles. And then you would say to the other child that was the victim that say, you know what, you can go all over the place out there, but don't go in this area because we're working with this child right now to make sure that he can be safe around other kids. And um, I think that parents want to know that their child's going to be safe. Mm -hmm. um, and then they want to know what's going to happen long-term. And the first question is, is what's going to happen to that child? And that's a bit of a confidential thing too, right? Because Absolutely. we don't ever want to say, well, we've, we've disciplined in this way. Cause it's not really anybody's business when you're looking at a, a, a child, because often it's, it's, the kids are really struggling. You often have, like we have family support services. We have sometimes RCMP, which is the police. Uh, sometimes we have other uh, counseling 
that we can't dive into that sort of stuff. So um, I find parents are pretty supportive overall mm -hmm. and you just have to, unfortunately, that's, this is, we have to take it from a teaching perspective and also and provide that safe environment for that child. And I have had experiences where parents were not happy with that, but a year later they were because it stopped. Right. Right. So it's important to also make that call a few, um, like a, a week later, a month later and say, how are things? How are mm -hmm. things when, even when you know they're doing well, because you want them to acknowledge the parents to acknowledge, you know what, things are going well. And we haven't had an issue with that since, since it's been dealt with. Okay, good. You know, so now we're on the same page that, that it is working because right. had I suspended, you don't want to say, I, I told you so by any means, because, um, we are, we, we don't know the answer at the time We're we're trying, you know, mm -hmm. um, but you want to acknowledge that the fact that things are going well. And so if it happens, um, again, then we, we may have to reconsider the route we took right now, but we were going to do our best to, um, uh, make sure that your child is safe at our school and the other child is learning the skills they need. So long-term they're never going to do this again. Yeah. And, and that's a hard, hard thing to say right in that moment when the yeah. adrenaline and the fear and the anxiousness about my child being hurt, which is very real. I'm not discrediting oh, that absolutely. at all. And my, I mean, when my own kids get hurt, it's like a totally different person comes and takes control of my body because, because yeah. I don't want them to ever be hurt, even though I know they will, but I just don't, I don't want them to experience that if I can prevent it. And it's, I, well, I, I get that. You bring up a good point The that kid, I mean, f families are dropping off their babies, whether they're, whether they're 12, 17 or, or five, they're dropping off their babies and they're saying, we trust, or we're hoping that they're going to be safe. And I was always, I would say, you know what? You're you're dropping off, and you expect the trust that your child's can be safe. And you know what? We did not provide that for you, and we need to make some changes to make that happen because what we provided was not good enough. That shouldn't happen at school, mm -hmm. um, you know. And acknowledge the fact. And sometimes when a child, when a parent's coming in, I rate about it. You just listen and you say, "Yep, yeah, you know what? I can understand how what how mad you must be, and we're going to take some serious time to think about how we're going to approach this. We're not going to react." So I'm going to call you tomorrow and uh, we're going to, we're going to, you know, the staff's going to meet tomorrow morning to decide how we're mm -hmm. going to best approach this. And um, the, the, we've had, we've been lucky here because the, the government we call uh, ministry, ministry is their government uh, agencies and, and they have taken a, an approach uh, for bullying, which is, is fairly based on teaching. And so most schools are following that and uh, having a clear code of conduct and, based on things that we're going to do to prevent it rather than react. Mm -hmm. We still have the reactionary stuff, but right. the reactionary stuff is mostly through restitution and uh, a restorative justice and, and teaching rather than that, that punishment piece. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about um, restorative justice and restitution and, and how that actually works with, with real students and what that looks like? Um, I, Cause I feel like that's the way that, we're heading as education in general and not everybody's quite there yet. Um, mm. So just talk about how, how some of those things have worked out. I mean, basically the, the theory behind it is that, okay, you've done something bad. You've made a poor choice. Uh, you've hurt someone. Um, now the best way to, to make that right is, or is, is to do something positive. Mm -hmm. Um what we often do is, is okay, apologize. <laughs> but, you know, sorry, it doesn't mean anything if nothing changes. Um, so we're trying to right that wrong. 
it's best if you can do something for the child. So if the the person who's been picked on or or had something wrong done to them, if you can write it by doing something to help uh, that person, um, that can be very powerful. And and you have to look at the specific situation because the the logical consequences of that of doing something wrong should be very tied to the behaviors tied to the the individuals who have been wronged. Um, if it's something where a kid is just like disrupting school or being disrespectful to to staff, then you want to sort of come up with an idea. And it's best if the kids come up with if it with it with you. Um, you know, for example, if somebody's um, you know being very disruptive in the music class, well, now you can stay in with the music teacher and you're going to help mm-hmm. to help her to try to. Uh, get the classroom ready for the next thing, and then you have those conversations while they're while you're doing it. The yeah. best one we we used fairly regularly was was helping out primary students on the playground. So if you were being um, disruptive on the playground or unsafe on the playground, well, now uh, as part of your restitution, number one, it removes the child from the playground, mm-hmm. the say the area that they were causing the problems, and it puts them in a in a leadership role with coaching with some support to to um, teach the skills needed for our younger students to benefit from. And so you're there, you're nearby watching them. It's not like you just send it on the primary and they hang out with primary kids for, for a few days. Right. Um, they do something positive. And then the key piece is the reflection afterwards. Okay. What did you do? How did you help? Uh, how does it feel? Because um, how did it feel when you did this, you know, when you made so-and-so cry uh, when you did that, that, that she cried from that um, or he cried from that okay, that felt bad. I didn't like that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a, a lot of kids struggle with under, understanding emotions, but so that's another piece there. And then when you do the, the restitution, okay, how did it feel to, to help that person out? Right. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes it's a letter and then some action around it. Um, did they smile when you did that? Yes. Okay. How did that feel? Um, so you're trying to, to build that idea that uh, helping feels good. Hurting feels bad. And so what do we want to do more of? You know, do you feel happy when you help? Yes. Okay. Well, don't you want to feel happy more? Mm-hmm. And it's, again, this is long-term. It does not like, okay. you know, you're going to do this once and it changes everything. Right. It's, it's, it's ha- creating the conditions for that to happen more often. And a lot of things that ha- that result from that is an acknowledgement of strength. You know what? I'm good with helping, helping younger kids. I like reading to younger kids. Mm-hmm. Can I do more of that? Absolutely. Okay. Let's set that up in your schedule. So, you know, three days a week, you're in there reading to younger kids and, Again, then, or, or you, you've running a, we had a group of girls that were struggling in the, in the intermediate side um, and they love gymnastics. So we had them do a gymnastics um, program. It's just basically tumbling mm-hmm. um, somersaults and, and things like that, uh, forward rolls and uh, cartwheels uh, with some of the primary kids. And so they took a leadership role in that. So now they weren't causing some concerns on the intermediate end and they were actually doing some positive stuff on the primary end and you can see them start to flourish from that. And that wasn't really a restitution thing, but it was more of a proactive thing because we could see the path that they were going. Right. Um, and so you could catch them and catch them doing there. And that's the leadership piece as well. Yeah. And, and so it sounds like there's a lot of talking and there's a lot of counseling and supporting and just physically being with, that child as they're going through these um, restorative practices or through the restitution. Um, Is that something that you took on or did you have counselors or psychologists or others who were helping or was it whoever could help whenever? Yeah. What what did that look like? 
depends on the year. Um, like I said, this year at Kent, there was, there was just so many kids that needed support mm-hmm. that we had to assign any staff that were out there. They had two, two kids that they were to check in with and to find if there was a problem, they would follow them and they would be in, in that area. Um, you know, we used to supervise based on zones of coverage. And this year we went to sort of the man to man coverage where you, you know, you moved with the child depending on where they were. Um, and, you know, put them in areas where they would be successful. Um, and so this year it was mostly, you know, we had to work as a team and we're constantly bouncing ideas off each other. Um, and it was very, very time consuming. There's a lot of meetings, which, you know, I'm unsure if that was the route to go because it, it took a lot of time to do. Um, but you know, you're out there talking, you're collaborating at recess lunchtime. Most of our problems there at Kent were at recess and lunchtime. Mm-hmm. So um, out there collaborating with each other. Um, you know, bouncing ideas and, uh, but other years it would be sort of the principal. And, uh, if you have a counselor, um, some schools have part-time counselors here, um, working with them, our special education assistants, uh, sometimes supervised. So you, you would use, use their expertise. Um, and often you have kids with disabilities, um, that require some extra support. And when you right. place a kid with with some behavior challenges with a child that needs that help, and they'll they'll rise to the occasion too, and then you get a relationship because it's positive. So between that special educator, education assistant, um, and the child, so yeah, there's there's I mean there's not really one way of doing it. So you have to you have to look at who you have on your staff, mm-hmm. who can support this, and uh, who your students are, and then and then what your structures look like and how to how to best support that. Yeah, that is awesome. Um, this is a great conversation. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm learning a ton. I know people who listen will learn a ton also. Um, let's change subjects a little bit though. I do want to talk about your FedEx prep time and, uh, and if you're still doing that, you first wrote about, I think 2010 or something. It was, yeah, it's been a while. Yeah. It's been a while. So, uh, talk a little bit about what that is. I'll put a link to your post on connected principles in the, in the show notes so people can get more information, but just give a brief overview and then um, talk about how, how that's working now at your new school and what, what your plans for it there are. So we at, uh, yeah, it was about three years ago, four years ago at Kent. Um, I just recently read the book drive by Dan Pink and he talked about the importance of that um, autonomy and time, you know, whether you're at, I think it was at Atlassian where they would given, they were given FedEx days mm-hmm. um, with the only goal that they had to deliver something at the end of that. And so that was what I proposed to staff. I said, I will cover uh, six to eight classes prep free. If you will. Um, and you can work on something that, you know, you've kind of always wanted to work on um, with the only, uh, the only one piece is that you have to deliver it back to our staff. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it was a way to try to get more innovative practices in our school and, and to try to tap into some of the passions that people had. <coughs> Excuse me. And so I did that for a year and uh, we had things about, we got kids. Uh, one of the grade one teachers did a lot more with technology, having kids uh, blogging, having kids putting, posting um, their art on Flickr and, and have, have commenting on each other's things. Mm-hmm. Um, we had uh, another one around our school garden. We had a teacher that was uh, always felt she never had the time to really try to take the school garden and bring that into her classroom. Um, and so she was able to do that. Another teacher was an intermediate teacher. She really got into the student blogging as well. Uh-huh. Um, so it was just sort of like free time. It was seed time that we could 
we could do that. And then from that, we actually moved to more of a collaborative seed time. I created uh, the schedule. So um, our teacher librarian and our music teacher were given um, a couple extra periods a week to cover classes. Mm -hmm. And so teachers and I would decide, um, you know, if there was something they were curious about, how can we make, make it so teachers could, you know, two teachers or three teachers, if I was involved, could cover classes and meet for these teachers um, just to sort of, you know, have those hunches collide and have those ideas bounce off each other to, to see where that goes. And that was, that was, that was very powerful. Um, even more powerful because it was uh, more collaborative. It wasn't just one mm -hmm. teacher diving into it. It was two teachers or three teachers that were going to do that. Sometimes it was over time. Sometimes it was once, and then there would be a break. Sometimes it with, was with a special educator. You know, we talked about how, uh, how do you collaborate around these kids? And sometimes it was through that where right. you'd have the uh, the teacher and the special educator, education assistant talking or the special ed teacher and the teacher talking. Um, and so it was trying to create the collab time that was more organic. It wasn't like, okay, we're going to provide collab time and you're going to talk about this and you're going to look at the data from this and kind of, you know, that's the sort of the top down way of doing things. Whereas mm -hmm. this was, you know what, really curious of, of how, um, visual clutter is is adding to the stress of the kids in my classroom oh wow okay so the <laughs> provide provide some time for for teachers to to plan and you see you know teachers would change the whole environment of their classroom uh, around the sort of the visual clutter to to what was much more calming okay now let's see how that impacts your classroom and so you know example of okay you have one teacher that's using ipads in the classroom um you know, they're taking pictures and they're using it in math class. How can you help take that teacher and help take that pocket of effective instruction and help a grade two teacher mm -hmm. so you can provide provide support in that way? So it, the same philosophy, it's based on that providing time that's less directed. It's more autonomous um, and uh, and supporting those, giving teachers the tools they need to be successful. I, I did you know, I, I did control that time, you know, so I, I didn't see it being used ineffectively, but I guess that would be a question. How do you, how do you control whether that's used, being used effectively? If a teacher's not using it effectively, if they're prepping or marking, mm -hmm. um, then I would have that conversation and say, well, this is not for that. I'm, you know, so if we're, if you're not going to use it for that, then, then I can't offer that time. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that, that kind of evolved into that. And now I'm at my new school and I've, um, I've thrown that idea around and, uh, and teachers have responded well about, you know, some time. And now our district's moving to collab time embedded into the schedule. And uh, so I'll be interesting to see how that, how that goes. Cause I don't think it's going to be top down. It sounds like it's going to be a bit more organic based on the needs of teachers and just providing some time for them to meet through, through the year. Um, mm-hmm see where that goes. So is that your district getting a great idea from you and saying, let's implement this district wide? No, that's that. Um, I mean, basically all the stuff that we've had, we have these fairly, well, probably not compared to what happens in the U S we had a large conference for us is about a thousand people. <laughs> um, and um, so we've had sort of fairly large conferences and they have speakers from around the world. A lot of them from the U S it's funny how the, a lot of the educators from the U.S. come up here and help Canada out, but they don't. Uh, no one listens to them in the U.S. <laughs> All the speakers <laughs> in the U.S. listen to them. Yeah. Um, but uh, they've been saying, you know, like the it, one of a lot of the high-performing districts, high-performing areas, high-performing countries, and and schools have collab time 
for teachers to meet and mm-hmm. uh, and what that looks like, whether that's the PLC model, um, which in some schools here hasn't gone very well um, because it is a very it has been, was perceived as very top down. Mm-hmm. Um, and so but we know that teachers need time to meet and bounce ideas and talk about how kids are doing in order to to move forward. And so that's when you have this being said over and over again by many, many different people, we kind of go, okay, how can we do that in our, in our current model uh, without taking away too much from and putting too much onus on the parents and too much stress on the kids from taking minutes out of the, the day. So we've tried to figure out how we can um, plant some minutes. And so it's, it's not a ton. It's like, you know, six sessions of 80 minutes, but it's through the year. And it's a way that teachers can, can, you know, bounce an idea off each other and, and then try it and then come back and meet to see how that went. Yeah. Um, um, so I want to respect your time. I know we're coming up close to the end of our time. So I have two quick questions that I yep. ask at the end of every interview. Uh, the first one is what advice would you give a principal that they could start doing today to become a transformative principal like you? Um, well, transformative, I don't know. <laughs> um, it has to come from the teachers themselves, right? So um, I can't transform something in a classroom. Um, the teachers can do it. So it's really about creating the conditions for that to happen. One of the things that I've done at this school that I wish I had done much earlier, I learned from a friend of mine, Kale Burke, um, who's a principal in, in BC here. And it's having uninterrupted time with a teach with teachers and staff. And so I threw out a Google Doc that had all these open spots that people could sign up for. And people have signed up for them. And it's like that half hour of uninterrupted time to talk about, hey, what are you curious about? How can I best support mm-hmm. you? Because teachers have so many good ideas and not and no time to do it. So once you know what those ideas are, then we can figure out we can how to create the conditions for those ideas to to grow. Um, and that sometimes that's planting time. Sometimes that's looking for resources. Sometimes that's connecting with the teacher across the hall in another school across the globe, trying to find ways to connect teachers because it's all about creating the conditions for those ideas to grow. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there there are great teachers that have these ideas and there's other teachers that are quite happy where they're they're at and and so trying to um take the teachers that are that are kind of i talk about running with the runners they want to go mm-hmm. and so you know trying to help them give them the tools to go and uh and be reflective in that as well not just oh this is so exciting and you know mm-hmm. it's new and shiny no we got to be reflective with that and critical of how things are going um so providing the time providing the resources um i think is is the way to get more innovation in your school. And, and I think teachers want to do well. I know they want to do well, yeah. but they're often strapped with like, you know, 10 different behavior challenges with, with, uh, you know, no resources with, uh, you know, a, a book full of outcomes they got to teach. So trying to talk and, 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 and how we can make that, that happen and providing that time uninterrupted time has been very, very powerful. I've learned stuff that I had no idea about all uh-huh. these teachers, you know, because you do the flyby, how are you doing? Well, that you don't really get into it. But when you have a half hour uninterrupted time with a teacher, it's not an interview. It's just how can I best support you? What are you curious about? Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you, you know, how do you best receive feedback? Things like that. It's uh, you get some yeah. deep conversations, right? You sure do. Do you do those in your office or in the teacher's classroom or does it vary? Uh, mostly in my office. I want it, I want my office to be a place that's not feared. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not something where you have to have a serious conversation, but today I did one in, in a teacher's classroom. Mm-hmm. The one thing that I noticed though is in the teacher's classroom, you get people trying to interrupt. 
right. students and other staff that don't know what's happening. Whereas if it's in the office, kind of people know, okay, this must, the door's closed. It must be a, an important conversation. Right. Um, and at the start, people were, I mean, I was a new guy. People were afraid. People were afraid. Oh, is this an interview? Is this, what's he going to ask? But uh, after I did the first couple, I think people started to talk and realize that, Hey, you know what? He's just trying to get to know us and trying to find out how to best support us because I don't know how to support the staff here. I don't know them. Right. Uh, I've been here seven weeks and I'm, I'm just learning now how to best support uh, the staff and trying to figure out where we are and where we want to go and how we're going to get there. And uh, so it's been, it's powerful. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And the last question is what's, what's something in your office that is on display that motivates you and keeps you inspired? Well, there is a, a paddle that I received. Um, I'll show you. <laughs> if I can enjoy it. Uh, yeah, I can see that. It's, a, it's a, an Aboriginal paddle that's carved. It was given to me at my last school. Um, it's a steering paddle, and so it, it, it acknowledges leadership. Um, and it also, there's a picture of a, um, uh, a rave, I think it's an eagle, actually, sorry, an eagle with a seed in its mouth, and it's supposed to take the seeds of, of knowledge um, from one area and plant it in another and watch them grow and to work to create the conditions for that to happen. So, um, what I don't want to do is come in and say, well, I can't, we did this. I can't, we did that. I can't, we did no. Um, it's to take that knowledge that I have of what worked there and what didn't work there and try to find out what works here and then, and then try to help teachers grow here. So uh, that meant a lot to me because it was uh, handcrafted and uh, hand carved, sorry, by, uh, by a local carver. And um, the Aboriginal community uh, has had a, a, a number of struggles through the years uh, based on some of the uh, horrid ideas that, um, sort of the European white culture has, has thought would be mm -hmm. best for, for education. And, and so to have them give me something on leadership, I shouldn't say them, have the community give something to me on leadership really inspired me and uh, mostly reminds me to listen, step yeah. back and don't come in with all our, all our ideas uh, because if you don't understand where we're coming from, um, we, they're not going to work. So listen to people, what people have to offer and then ask some good questions and create the conditions for that to happen. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, again, uh, Chris, thank you so much for your time. This has been an amazing opportunity. Um, I'll put a link to your, uh, to your blog, Chris Weger. Is that how you say it, right? Yeah. yeah. Well done. <laughs> Chris Weger, uh, com, And yep. uh, I recommend everybody follow that because it's, it's a great blog and I've learned a lot from it. And thank you for being such a reflective and open principal about what you're, what you're doing. It's helped me learn a ton. So thank you very much. Well, it was awesome to finally get to connect with you and thanks yes. for the opportunity. Thank you. Have a great day and a good weekend. Once again, that was just a great interview with Chris Weger. I hope that you'll be able to take something from that and uh, and apply it to your life as a principal and, and find a way to help those around you to be better people, just like Chris very humbly suggested. He's a great example to all of us, and thank you so much, Chris, for your time. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We'll see you next time. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. 
Head straight to IXL.com BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash B-E.